or when I think about vocal therapy, it really is a therapeutic sort of almost spa-like environment, if you will, uh, where it just feels very neutral, but very personal at the same time. What's so good, fam? It's B. Rose, and you're watching Folks Alert. I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. This is quite new. Congratulations. Thank you again, man. I feel blessed. You do this voice therapy. Yeah, man. So um, thank you for touching on the music thing, because uh, that love for music started when I was a youth growing up in, uh, in Mississippi. So I'm a good old country boy. Obviously, in Mississippi, we don't have too much going on. We climb trees, shoot basketballs, and uh, we listen to good music. You know, sometimes it's gospel music. Sometimes it's rhythm and blues, which is my preferred form of music. Obviously, we've got our hip hop, but uh, my love for music really was rooted growing up in the home, listening to my mom playing classic music, you know, from the Temptations to the OJs and Marvin Gaye. Um, played in the band, you know, in, uh, in junior high and in high school, so that love only got that much more cemented. Um, that, that skill and that love for music was able to pay my way through, through college, uh, being a collegiate member of the, uh, of the band, playing trumpet, mellophone, French horn, symphonic band, and all that jazz. Uh, so that love for music has been with me for an incredibly long time. Um, obviously, music is something that's meant to be shared. And for me, you know, some of my, my deepest and darkest moments in life, music was my therapy that helped to elevate me and get me out of that dark place. So a couple of years ago, I thought to myself, actually, um, when the pandemic first started, this would be a great opportunity to come up with a way to be able to share music with people who can't go to a live venue right now. And uh, that's where the concept came from. And I feel so fortunate and so blessed to be surrounded with so many amazingly talented artists and performers who are willing to partner with me and do business with me um, in order for us to get that message out to the world. So uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Music, music, music. I'm not originally from Orlando, yep. From a small town, Hazelhurst, Mississippi is where I'm from, and I migrated here. So um, back in 2008, I graduated from college with a degree in broadcast journalism.
And uh, my dream was always to be an anchor. I wanted to be on the news, six o'clock news, 10 o'clock news. That's what the degree was in. And um, in order to become an anchor, you first have to be a field reporter. Now, I never wanted to be a field reporter. I didn't want to be out in the hot sun. You, listen, I'm the baby of my family, so I'm spoiled and I've been spoiled for a long time. It's always what I want on my terms. That's always the way I was when I was younger. I'm a grown man now, so I'm different. But um, I wanted to be an anchor and trying to find a way to, to get to that role as quickly as possible. Things just were not turning out in my favor. So I, I decided um, to come down to Orlando, Florida, just to give myself six months to hit the reset button to figure out what I wanted to do next, right. if I really wanted to be in the news circuit, if I wanted to go to radio, what I was gonna do. So uh, I came to Orlando, like a lot of other people, with no specific game plan, um, but I decided to, on the Disney College program, work in hospitality. And the original plan was to do it for six months, and I've been in hospitality ever since, at least for the past 10, 15 years. So that's like the nine to five? That's the nine to five. Yeah, I've done a little bit of everything. I, I started the career in uh, in theme parks, so you know, working at Walt Disney World, working in uh, in Epcot. Once again, on the Disney College program, you know, did guest relations, you know, at Disney at all four of the theme parks. Even worked in attractions like Space Mountain over at Disney. Um, and then eventually, I worked my way into lodging because originally my idea was if I get out of theme parks and into hotels. Right. I can move anywhere in the world that I want to. So moved into lodging, fell in love with lodging, um, transitioned away from Disney, started working in the timeshare industry for a little bit. Um, did that for about three years, but recognized timeshare was not really my cup of tea. It was no pun intended. It was not my cup of tea. Yeah. I don't know what we're ranked right now, but they say Orlando is the number one place for tourists. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very hard for you to get away from, you know, hospitality, living in Orlando. In some form, in some way, you're going you're gonna to end up in hospitality. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But I love the concept of hospitality. When you think about, you know, the South, and the, the real South, if you will, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, you think about hospitality. So when you go to any of those states and you walk around, it can be a small town, it can be a capital city, whatever the case is, you know, people are going to smile at you, they're gonna nod at you, complete strangers gonna walk up to you if you drop your groceries, help you pick them up and carry them to the car. Uh, they're gonna invite you over to the house to cook for you. They're gonna make, you know, tea for you. They're gonna share their moonshine with you. But, you know, in 2023. Uh-huh. You don't know if you want? I don't know if people will be inviting you to their home. Hey, listen, like I said, I'm a good old country boy. I'm a good old country boy. I just came, I, I just went home actually uh, a couple of weeks ago. Back in Mississippi. Back in Mississippi. Definitely not, definitely not in Florida, but in, in the, the real, like deep, deep, deep South, culturally speaking, 100%. We still do that to this day. A lot of communities, we even lock our doors at night, man. You can still do that, yeah. Now, you're in hospitality. At some point in time, you can find your way from what you're doing up listening to music. Mm -hmm. right? How did this come about, you putting it into motion, and then finding the talent? So, you know, in between 
working, you know, for hospitality on the days off, on the vacations, you know, that love for music had never stopped. So I myself have been a vocal performer for for years. Um, the real the real reason why I kind of pivoted and transitioned into shining a light on other artists as opposed to myself is because I developed acid reflux. So actually silent reflux. So it's a form of acid reflux that creeps up at nighttime, singes the vocal cords, obviously makes it difficult for you to be able to sing for long periods of time. Sometimes it makes it impossible for you to sing or even speak at all. And that's been something that I've been dealing with for the past three to four years. So um, right around the time that COVID happened, um, I didn't have the opportunity to perform. Otherwise, it probably would have been me who would have been on those vocal therapy uh, performances. But a lot of other artists that I had the pleasure of singing with, people that I knew of through the Orlando market, they didn't have anywhere to perform. They didn't have any gigs or any shows going on. So it was just that perfect marriage during a, a very unfortunate time um, for me not being able to sing and other artists not having a place to sing for us to be able to come together and share our gift for music with, uh, with the world. You, um, vocal therapy, are you restricted to a type of music, genre of music? So I, I'm definitely not restricted. Um, subconsciously biased, I think, might probably be a better term. Um, because I just, I deeply love R&B, rhythm and blues. You know, I love the storytelling aspect of it. I'm talking about, you know, this OG, you know, old school R&B. So I, I like the new stuff to a certain extent, but you know, when, when I can put myself in a situation that I've been in in my personal life, whether it be a heartbreak, whether it be the loss of, of a loved one, you know, when I'm feeling spiritual, I have this huge catalog of these artists that I can go to and they're gonna, you know, give me a step-by-step -step manual of how to make it through whatever trial and tribulation that I'm going through. So I'm emotionally invested with it, but uh, I know there are a ton of other great forms of music that are out there. So I'm looking to branch out, maybe get some country artists involved, maybe get some, you know, Latin music that's involved with it as well. Um, it's, uh, it's still in its infancy. It's still a baby right now, and it's only going to continue to grow, continue to blossom uh, over the next 10 years or so. So. Yeah, so I would say a couple of different ways. So with vocal therapy, you know, we attempt to be a lot more intimate with the performance, stripping away a lot of the instrumentation, in certain cases stripping away, you know, background vocalists. It's not a huge audio production. There's not a huge stage production. It, it's intended to feel as if it is a conversation between you and the performer. When you look at a lot of those other shows in karaoke night, it's more so about, hey, let's eat some popcorn, let's you know, crack open a bottle, let's sip a cocktail, and enjoy this performance, and it feels like more of a, a party or a festive thing. Well, when I think about vocal therapy, it really is a therapeutic sort of, almost spa-like environment, if you will, um, where it just feels very neutral, but very personal at the same time. So for me, that's, 
that's the key attribute that makes it different than a lot of other performances that you see. I was on the Instagram and I took the clip for a promo posted on the page. It seemed like you're in a studio setting, like an orchestra. Mm -hmm. it, it was that where you gather all the, the talent from previous and current um, local therapy show and got them all together? Kind of like we are, we are the world? Yep. Well, so once again, there's so many talented artists and performers that are from this area, surrounding areas that I've had the pleasure of working with before. So after we, we shot the first episode and people saw what we had to offer, there are just a numerous artists who express interest in being able to share their story and share their gift with the world. So um, it, Mm -hmm. well, well, first off, I just feel blessed because I feel like, you know, the Lord puts the right people in my path, or at least he affords me, you know, the discernment to be able to know who's a good fit and who's not a good fit. So it's not too much different than, you know, doing a job interview. You're going to interview a lot of people. Some people say the right thing, but you have a gut feeling and an instinct that maybe that person is not the most selfless. Maybe they're a, a me person and not a we person. Um, so through the past three years of working with so many different artists, you get a good feeling based off of people's behaviors, who's really a team player, who's someone who is a lead vocalist but is willing to be a background vocalist, or vice versa. Um, who is someone that will come out and support you know, someone else's act when they're not even on the playbill for that night. Um, characteristics like that, in certain cases, outweigh, you know, the aspect of being talented. Because when you have the right people who do things the right way, generally speaking, in my opinion, you can accomplish a lot more than just having someone who's really talented, but they're not concerned with everyone else who's around them. They're not appreciative and respectful of the camera crew's time. They're not appreciative and respectful of the background singers. You know, appreciative and respectful of the curator who put the entire thing together. You know, obviously, um, I try my best to avoid those types of personalities and attributes and performers, so. Vocal therapy, I so for vocal therapy, we've done about nine episodes. Now, my, uh, the sister product, uh, the R&B Renaissance, this will be the seventh that we've done. This will be the seventh one. So it's two separate entities. Yep. So vocal therapy is meant to be a lot more intimate. We pre-record that and we put it out on my YouTube channel. Um, it's it's stage, it's more of a production, it's meant to be, you know, a live, vivacious sort of environment. And uh, that's, that's my baby. The RB Renaissance, I love that like a child. <laughs> I love that program. Do you, do you see yourself becoming maybe a reading ground for record company to come and start looking for talent? You know, I, um, initially I didn't think that that would be a part of the equation. But the longer that I've been doing it, it feels almost as if it's destined to happen, like it's supposed to work that way. Um, 
And I, I do believe that in the not too distant future, we will see a lot of record labels reaching out um, to collaborate and provide resources in order to elevate certain artists who, uh, who we've been working with. Um, now, one thing on the flip side I would say is, you know, where we are in society now in 2023, who's to say you even really need a record label to do uh, what you want to do or to accomplish what you want to accomplish? Ultimately, if we can find a way, you know, between the artist and, and myself to curate and cultivate and nurture the right audience, from a financial perspective, you don't necessarily need to bring on you know, that record label because they're not really providing you what they would have been providing you 20 years ago. You already have the audience because you built it on your own, so. Well, probably the marketing and the budget. It, it definitely helps, but the more, the more hands that reach in to help, the more people you have to break bread with. That's true, but then, again, let me ask you this. You don't want to wind up like TLC. You remember? They sold like 10 million records and then were negative and in the hole financially. They still owed people. I mean, yeah, I saw the TLC clip, but we're not, we're not hearing the whole conversation, nor we're seeing... There could always be more to it. Very valid point. The context of the contract. Right. Right. They may have just wanted fame, signed, where they signed. Right. And now that they're famous, you have buyers and buyers. Right. You want to change the agreement. Change the agreement after the fact. And I, I don't, I don't, I mean, what you're saying makes a ton of sense. In, what you're saying makes a ton of sense in regards to, you know, literacy of contracts and maybe being overly ambitious. Um, I think because we've heard so many stories of artists and musicians from the 90s, from the 2000s, who have witnessed what happened to their predecessors, I think a lot of the artists have become a lot more savvy and recognized what's a good deal, what's not a good deal, what are you bringing to the table and what do you request in exchange for my services and how will this ultimately benefit me? That's a slippery slope. It is definitely slippery slope, yeah. Granted, you may, have the, you may have all the talent in the world, right? but you might suck at marketing, suck at production, but you may think that you're entitled to 100% of the time, correct? But you didn't write the rest. Right. So, I'm not saying the record company is a bad idea, but I'm just saying, I'm just the guy sitting on the sideline listening to you articulate what you have going on, and I can see a record company saying, well, maybe they don't pay attention to what's going on here in Orlando. Right. Because they both would therapy in this R&B renaissance because they may be talented guys. If a record label reaches out and what they are offering, what they're providing makes sense from a logistical perspective, hey, I would do absolutely everything within my power to give them all of my resource and uh, all of my partnership that I could provide, I would just want to ensure that it makes sense. With the R&B Renaissance, yeah. Right. You don't do anything outside of it. You don't encourage the artists to make studio time and maybe put a big safe. No, not currently, no. If I were a manager of one specific artist, 
that would be something that I would be doing, but I'm not currently managing any artists. Well, you be the vast majority of the time, the manager is the first investor. Right. Yeah. So I think what we're saying something somewhat similar. So majority of the time, the manager should not be the investor, but. I would say eight times out of 10, the manager is the investor, the first investor. Generally, um, if it's an unsigned artist, if it's someone who's on the up uh, or the come up, um, the first person who's gonna wind up paying for their transportation, paying for their studio time, you know, paying for what they're wearing, paying for the marketing and things of that nature, generally speaking, is going to be the manager. Uh, it's not always the case, but a lot of artists, they don't have the financial means to support themselves. So in many cases, that's how the manager came into play in the first place. It's because they provided an outlet and a financial resource for the artist to be able to elevate themselves. So I would say, at least in our market, that's, that's what, what happens fairly frequently. What was that? To 25%. Yeah, I feel you, I feel you. I'm just, I'm just. No, I, I love it. I love the constructive, you know, thought-provoking conversation. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But if the if the deal made sense for all parties involved, I would do everything that I could do to make it successful. You being where you're sitting right now, you're doing the voice therapy, you're doing the R&B Renaissance, but you have your your nine to five You know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I, I've always been of the mindset that, you know, multiple opportunities, multiple irons in the fire is probably the most logical way to go about things because, you know, I actually do love what I do from a hospitality perspective. Like, I love my job. I love the people that I work with. So it's not one of those scenarios where I can't wait to get, you know, out of it. Now, let's say we got to a scenario. Go ahead, go ahead. But, you know, we're here talking very vaguely about hospitality. Right. But you are Mr. Hospitality. You work for one of the largest companies that, when it comes to hospitality, upscale, they are the company that does it. You could do that full time and not even be dealing with this. Absolutely could. Are you ready Right. I get bored very easily. <laughs> hey, listen, I. I have too much energy, too much skill, too much talent to share with the world to just do one thing. Gotcha. And even if I was doing the music as a full-time thing, I would still find multiple other things to do because, you know, just like every other human, um, we're multifaceted. You know, there's so many different layers to us. So music is a huge part of me, but, you know, my relationships that I've developed and cultivated with my coworkers and with my guests they're still very meaningful to me. Even more so than from a financial perspective, it would have to do more so with time. If what I was doing musically didn't afford me the time to be able to do the hospitality, I think that would be when I would say, let me just 100% transition away from it because I don't have enough hours in the day to be able to do all of this. Um, thankfully, as of right now, that's not the case. Normally, you know, I can do all of that 
plus the nine to five and still have time to, you know, go for a jog or call mom and talk to her for an hour on the phone. Uh, so I, I feel good with where I'm at right now, but who knows what the future holds. What are you listening to right now? You know what's crazy? I do dabble in a lot of the, uh, the newer stuff periodically. Like who? <laughs> well, see, I'm, even though he's not new, because he, he's the artist of the decade, uh, he's not R&B, I listen to a lot of Drake. Drake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of Drake. What, no, no, hold, hold up now. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Please don't tell me you're about to disrespect my guy. I mean, you're telling me, I'm asking you what you're listening to. You're telling me Drake? And listen, man, I love Drake. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. And listen, I've got a few more. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Listen, let me tell you why. I listen to Khalid and them too, and all that. You know, Ty Dolla Sign and them. I listen to them. Classy. Jazzy. I'm eclectic. I'm eclectic. But if I'm honest with you, on a regular basis. If I were to hand you my phone and you saw my Apple Music, you know, most frequently played, yeah, Drake's gonna be up there. But hear me out, and let me explain to you why. It's it's a perfect segue. What we were just talking about beforehand about us being humans and being multifaceted. I know a lot of people won't agree with me when I say this, but but just hear me out. When I think about Drake and when I think about his catalog, every different aspect of a person's personality, he's got music for it. If you've been heartbroken, he's got music for it. If you want to be a big baller and spin, you know, he's got money for it. If you want to be, you know, confrontational, you know, he's got music for it. If you, you know, need to be deep and insightful, you know, he's got music for it. He's got something for, for absolutely everyone, every person. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got love for Drake, man. I've been listening to him since I was in college. And he is the artist of the decade. So, you know. He's been on a run, man. An unbelievable. I don't think we'll ever see a run to this magnitude again. It's a Tom Brady-esque run, like to draw a parallel. Okay, let me ask you. Do you think it's, a, it's an organic run or a manufactured? I think there is a good bit of both. You know, I think um, he had organic buzz when he started, and obviously, you know, with more resource from, you know, the labels and you know. Lil Wayne, all the, uh, the resources that he was able to provide, they were able to elevate and take things to a different level and he got with really smart, you know, clever marketing people who helped him cultivate certain personalities and cultivate certain situations that I don't think were all necessarily real and organic. But I get it from a business perspective, you know, you have to keep, as an artist, you have to keep your name on people's mind and lips um, because really, just like any business, you know, an artist is a concept. And uh, if you don't keep that concept alive, then you become a memory. So uh, he's been able to do it at an extremely high level, you know? But yes, I still listen to, uh, you know, some, some other artists. You know, Khalid is, is, is definitely one of them, but I'm still old school. I'm listening to, you know, my throwback artists. I'm still stuck in 1995, 1996 on the way coming over here. You know, I was listening to, to Jodeci, you know, come talk to me. You know, I still, I still love that old school. Nothing hits quite as hard, in my opinion. What can I expect from you for the next few years? What's, what's in the future? A lot more productivity, you know. Um, I am OCD to a certain extent, so when it comes time to, to put on a concert, 
sometimes maybe I might overthink it. So it takes me a while before I announce it and it takes me, you know, three months to promote it, execute it and put it out. So, you know, in this year, 2023, it's really about, hey, let's consistently host concerts and shows. Let's consistently put out episodes of vocal therapy. Let's branch out and do more music, you know? Let's branch out and focus on our, our, on our clothing line, uh, the Balladeer brand, and be more consistent with that. Um, consistency is what you can expect from, from me. Boris. Yes, sir. It was a pleasure having you here. And the pleasure was mine. I'd love to have you back. I would love to. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. God bless, brother. We'll do it.